0: Man. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter one, uh, verses six through eleven, is where we'll kind of be launching off uh, this morning. Uh, but this morning, I just want to kind of share with you how many of you enjoyed last week's Easter celebration. Man, it was a wonderful, wonderful weekend. How many of you were a part of our Good Friday service that we did? Man, that's awesome. One of the things that I'm excited about is that we actually did two services last last week, and we kept it this week. And so we are going to continue to do two services. Uh, But let me challenge you. There's a couple of really good things about the first service. Can I just give you a little bit of a sales pitch to start with? Nobody takes your seat in the first service. Like, this is... Fair game, right? Uh, The other thing is the donuts are really fresh in the first service. Um, So you get your pick of the donut. There are donuts that if you come late, you don't even know exist. This morning there was one with a blue and sprinkles and then an Oreo right there in the middle. Uh, Some of you that are in the second service will never see that donut. Uh, So (laughs) it's kind of fascinating what is there. Also, if you look around in our second service, there's a little bit more room. And so listen, I want you to understand why we're doing this, our heartbeat behind this. We want to reach this community, amen? Listen, as long as I'm your pastor, we're going to make room and we're going to do our best to continue to reach out to this community. And so if doing two services or three services or seven services is what we have to do to continually reach this community and reach their growth, that's what we'll do, amen? So, I'm glad that you guys are behind me. I'm glad that you guys are awake. I'm glad that some of you are going to come next week to the early service. Okay, good, good. Um, So, I will tell you this uh, we need your help, okay? We need some of you to help us out by coming to the early service so that we can continue to make room in this auditorium so that we can continually reach people, okay? So uh, uh, that's my challenge, that's my plea. Uh, If the Holy Spirit moves in your heart this week, and I pray he will, uh, come next week to the early service, I promise you it's the same message. It's the same speaker. It's the same worship. Uh, there is no less passion and no ex- less excitement in the first service. Maybe just a little bit <laughs> so, uh, because it is a little bit earlier, uh, but that's what we're trying to do as a church. Amen. So are you excited to be a part of a church that wants to reach this community? Man. That's our goal. Okay, three people good. So uh, we'll get there. By the end of the sermon, you'll be ready, okay? Um, This week, I I wanted to close out our Easter sermon series. I know this is a little bit awkward and a little bit different. Uh, You just go, well, Easter is over. Why are you doing one more message? Why is there one more carryover? But I want to ask you this question. Did you really get what took place at Easter? Did you get, I mean, did you really grasp... Everything that unfolded before our eyes. One of my biggest fears is missing out on something. Anybody here afraid to miss out on something? One of the things that was tough about me as a child, I'm told uh, there was many, uh, but one of the things that was really tough about me being a child is I hated to go to sleep. Anybody like that? Still to this day, I dread going to sleep. I just But here's why. I don't want to miss out on anything, right? It's it's crazy because now some of you are going, Pastor, I can sleep really good in your sermon. (laughs) uh, But what I'm telling you is I hated missing out on things. And so listen, this morning I want to talk to you about some of the things that we may have missed from Easter, some of the things that we may have missed. But before we do that, let's look at some of the biggest misses in history. In 1876, Alexander Graham Bell had sent speech down a gadget that he called the telephone. Now, he wanted to commercialize it and offered the patent to Western Union for $100,000. Listen, to give equivocal value from 1876 to current times, this is the equivocal value of $2.4 million. Now, imagine Western Union had the opportunity to buy the patent and know the phone. He told them he wanted to install telephones in every city in America. Listen to what they said. Their response was this. They said no. Now, amazing. And described the device as idiotic. Can you imagine? Now, listen. I've looked at my phone and thought it was idiotic (laughs) a lot of times. I don't say it as much because that's not really nice to Siri these days. So you don't call her names apparently. Um, But it's crazy. But imagine that they missed out on this. In 2014, listen to this, the world reached a point where there are more active mobile phone devices than people on the planet. That's crazy. Can you imagine Western Union going, for the next 10 years in corporate boardrooms, they go, hey, remember that time we missed out on the phone? (laughs) And somebody's going, yeah, we fired all of them (laughs) to get to this point. But it's amazing, that miss, and and it's crazy that it's turned into this. Uh, But listen, it's crazy what took place there. The next one is this. Publishers of J.K. Rowling, today the Harry Potter franchise, is worth $9.1 billion, according to Business Insiders. But J.K. Rowling had all sorts of trouble getting published. The first agent she approached said no almost immediately and called it kind of a a, a Pharisee. It wasn't going to be anything good. The second took it on but passed Potter around to 12 different publishers. Imagine this. This series that's worth $9.1 billion at present was passed down at least 13 times before Bloomsbury decided to take a gamble. And it was the best decision the company ever made. And Rowling is now the world's most highest paid author That's out there. Now, it's interesting that we miss out on things, and there's actually a technical term for this Uh, FOMO is fear of missing out, things that we miss out on. Now, how many of you have missed out on some type of social interaction? Listen, one of the things that happens on a regular basis every Sunday is we either go to give somebody knuckles or a handshake, and it turns into a hug, and you don't really know what to do with it now. But it's crazy that we miss out on some of these things. Part of the reason that we are missing out on so many different social interactions is because of the idiotic phone that's in our hands sometimes, right? But it's crazy we miss out on a ton. One of the things that's intriguing is personal conversation is becoming kind of this dying art where we text message or we talk into our phone to kind of send a message to somebody that this actual interaction is beginning to unfold right before our eyes I remember years ago before Caroline was born I actually went on a mission trip to the Philippines and when I arrived we had been in flight for 24 hours and the interesting thing that took place is they asked me they said hey Pastor Jeff we have some people that want to sit with you and eat a meal with you and can they just talk to you for three or four hours I was like, what? I'm a five to ten minute guy. Now, not when I'm preaching, but it's, hey, how are you? Good to see you. Give you a hug. And, and as I sat there, like I actually became nervous going, what are we going to talk about for three hours? As so We sat there. The conversation began to unfold and began to talk. But it was intimidating to think that that's what we were going to do. The fear of missing out. Do you know that the DVR was created for people like us? We don't miss out on TV shows or anything that we want to see. We can fast forward through commercials at this point. Man, we don't miss out on anything. But how many of you have that genuine fear that you're going to miss out on something? For me, my daughter came to me yesterday after the JC's Ranch event and said, Dad, I want to go to the rodeo. I was like, what? A rodeo happens in this area? Sure enough, it does. And it was full. And so we actually went to the rodeo. And if you've never seen this, you have genuinely missed out on seeing people jump on a bull that doesn't want them to be on there. I mean, you look in their eyes and they just, something ain't right (laughs) to be able to jump on that. When you think about this, you go, there's part of me that says, I want to ride a bull. I don't want to miss out on what that experience. Anybody with me? No, No, you don't. No, you don't. So then we were offered the mechanical bull. (laughs) And I passed on that also. Listen, we are people that have this fear of missing out. And I want you to understand that maybe, just maybe, you missed out on something about Easter. Maybe it's something that is truly important. So let's dig into Scripture and begin to look at something that we may have missed when it comes to Easter. This understanding begins to unfold. And from a timeline standpoint, we come to this place where we've celebrated the fact that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose from the grave. But in these next 40 days where some of the most influential moments of Jesus' life, Because he had literally ascended from the grave and he was no longer in the grave. And imagine this, that over 40 to 45 days, he appeared to 450 to 500 different people. And as he appeared to them, some of the interactions went like this. I'm not going to trust, I'm not going to know that this is really Jesus unless I see the holes and the scars that are within his hands. So doubting Thomas, probably a lot like who I would be, says, I'm not going to believe it until I actually see it for myself. Imagine Thomas, in his experience, beginning to see who Jesus was and that he had legitimately rose from the dead. The conversation that he had with Peter over boiled fish, as Peter kind of begins to unfold and recaps, Hey, I'm sorry that I denied you three times imagine that as this carries over, as this carries on, people begin to get accustomed to Jesus being present again. They begin to get a little bit fired up going, man, if this guy can overcome death, he can accomplish anything. So we come to this passage of scripture in Acts chapter 1 and verse 6 through 11, where it's called the ascension. And it's Jesus' farewell and he goes up on the Mount of of Olives and and this author captures this understanding. He says in verse 6, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Now listen, their consistency is something to be admired, but they missed what Jesus Christ did right in front of them. They were looking at Jesus going, Now is the time for Israel. We are going to take this back over. We have a resurrected king that will do this with us. Jesus says to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. Then he offers them this gift, this understanding, and he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Listen to what he's telling them. He's giving them the Holy Spirit up to this point in Scripture. The Holy Spirit would appear and retract. From this point forward, the Holy Spirit is now living inside of every one of us. Imagine that this, from this point forward, when Jesus ascends into heaven, we have a part of God living inside of us because of what he did. I was kind of hoping you'd be a little excited at that point. The early service was more excited than you were at that point. Listen, you have the Holy Spirit that resides inside of you as a believer. This is an exciting thing that Jesus has given them. His role kind of looks like this. He leads us, he guides us, he convicts us. Imagine this, that up to this point, they had the law and it would convict. But now we have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us that says, hey, don't sin here. This comfort that comes from the Holy Spirit that only comes from him. The encouragement, the leading and the guiding and the directing. Listen, up to this point in scripture, they would have to ask a priest and they would have to go into the Holy of Holies and beg God to reveal the direction that they were supposed to go. At this point, the Holy Spirit steps in and lives inside of us and we pray and go, God, lead us. And he does. God comfort us. And he does. God convict us. And he does. I think it's amazing that we understand the gift that was given there. And I think for the people that were kind of standing there, they were going, okay, cool, we got the Holy Spirit now. Like, what do we do? So he continues on and he says, And when Jesus had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. imagine this moment? What's going on? He's ascending right before our eyes, and now he's into a cloud. While they were gazing into heaven as he went back, Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He says, Have hope. He's going to return for you. It gives us this understanding that the people that were closest to Jesus Christ were focused on the wrong kingdom. They now had the Holy Spirit that lived inside of them, but he gives them this responsibility that they are now to be his witnesses. They are witnessing an event that is talked about for thousands of years later. That this Jesus ascended into heaven and he is at the right hand of God, now interceding on our behalf saying, I died on the cross for them. So I want to give you just a, an image, a picture. because one of the rare opportunities that I've had in my life. is I've been to Israel for the second time just a couple of weeks ago. I stood at this place and I was listening to our guide and he was pointing out the Mount of Olives and he was talking about this exact event. So I looked at this mount, I looked and I saw where Jesus ascended into heaven. So let me share this with you. If you look right behind me, you'll see what's called the Mount of Olives. And, uh, it's an interesting place uh, because it's still intact and still the understanding of where uh, Jesus uh, most the most amazing thing about this is this is where the image of Jesus takes So I think it's humbling. Jesus, as he the ascendant of the and then put the disciples our, our job is to teach them and What a beautiful place This is not just a, a biblical theory. This is where it took place. This is where Jesus ascended into heaven. But I don't want you to miss a few things that took place that led up to this. Because it had to have been difficult for the disciples and the people that were close to Jesus to walk away from that mount. And as the angels kind of challenged them and said, hey, now it's your time. Now it's your time to share the message that you are my witnesses that you are to share with Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth what you saw over these past three to four years. This responsibility now was taken and put on them to say, I need you to tell everybody about who I am. So I want you to understand there may have been something about this that we truly missed. There may have been something about this event that we really didn't pay too close attention to. And that's what his purpose really was. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 42 through 45, we see this begin to unfold and he clarifies this understanding. And Jesus called them to him and said to him, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But he says, this shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, and this is the thing that I'm worried and I'm concerned that we may have missed in this whole understanding. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Listen, I want you to understand that Jesus came and he had multiple interactions and everybody was going, Jesus, will you take the kingdom now? Will you take over this now? His understanding would continually be putting them in their place that his goal, his role was here to serve. This continual message of was he God? Was he able to fulfill it? Yes, he absolutely was. But he came here to serve. What does it mean to be a servant? This is to be in complete submission to God, understanding that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he shared this cup and he said, Let this cup pass from me. And he says, But not my will, but yours. Remember Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Three times he was given this opportunity to overtake everything and to have this earthly kingdom. And he looked at Satan, the tempter, and he says, this is not my will. I came to serve. Can you imagine the moment where Jesus is eating the Passover with his disciples and he begins to wash their feet? And as Peter stands up, the exact same way that I would probably go, no, 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 I'm the servant here. I'm the one that's going to wash your feet. Jesus reminds him, I came to serve. And this is a humbling thing for us to begin to grasp. This is a good God. He willingly gave his life as a ransom for many. So I don't want you to miss, I don't want you to miss out on the understanding that Jesus came on this earth to serve. So if he came to serve, he's given us a task and an understanding of what our responsibility is to move forward. Paul captures this in giving us a roadmap map of what it may look like to be see people that are servants also. Paul's understanding of this comes in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 through 11. And he starts out this verse and he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. (laughs) Now, can I be honest with you? This is tough. This is really tough for most of us. But he's telling us, don't be selfish. I I think that there's this inside track for most mothers that have had children because they just know how to put their kids' needs above their own. And it's just, it's weird to me because my kids will come up to me and I'll go, "Nah, I need a break. Amen. Oh, I'm all alone. We'll preach online next week, guys. But mom continually serves. I think it's an amazing thing for us to understand because he says do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Now, can I tell you what's strange about the world's message? Is it tells you take care of you first. Make sure that you are cared for. Self-care, take care of you, take care of you, take care of you. And God's message is completely different. He never took care of himself. He always served those that were around him. Can you imagine as he goes up to the woman at the well, knowing that she was involved with things that he would never be a part of? He looks at her and he says, I have come to serve It's crazy to understand this, but he's telling us don't be selfish, don't be conceited in ourselves, humbly count others more significant than yourselves. Then he says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Man, this roadmap is tough, but this is exactly what Jesus did for us. He didn't look at himself and say, watch me be king. He came to this earth and he put it humbly in perspective. And he said, let me look after your interests. Listen, the crazy part about our society and the crazy part about most churches is that we have turned inward. We've become very good at taking care of our own but there is a lost and dying world out there that needs somebody to take interest in their life. One of the most humbling things that's been presented to me in ministry is over the past couple of years, I've had the opportunity to be a part of uh, the, be chaplain for Pooler Police Department and help out with the fire department. And and city events and all the things that come with that. I'll be honest with you because at at first it was really difficult. Because if there's something that you don't understand about police officers, it's that they don't want anybody else in their car but them. And so some of the... I heard an amen from a previous police officer. Uh, Some of the way that this would unfold is that I would go to shift change and the command sergeant or corporal would say, who wants chaplain in their car? And it felt like middle school recess at dodgeball that nobody <laughs> wanted Jeff Hubbard on their team. And then finally the command sergeant that would look and go, hey, you got chap today. And the person would go, let me clean out my front seat. And as I stand there awkwardly as they clean out their front seats, sometimes the first question is, what are you doing? And I tell them these words, I'm a volunteer, I don't get paid to do this, I'm here to serve you and your family. Most of them will look at me and it's really uncomfortable for them at that point if you don't know anything about public servants, they like to serve others, and they don't want to be served at all. So it's taken me two years to really begin to crack into this, to where they understand my role and my responsibility is there to serve. I've had the opportunity to serve different families in our community through tragic scenarios, had the opportunities to help officers through very, very difficult scenes. I'll be honest with you. It's tough sometimes. But I want you to understand, God's called each and every one of us to some area of ministry just like this. That we are here to serve this community. Jeff, don't, don't we pay you to do that? <laughs> no, you don't. I do this as a volunteer, mostly on my own time. But We have to look for areas that we can serve this community. We have to look for areas where we can't be selfish, and we have to begin to look out for others. Listen, this is becoming a lost and dying concept of us genuinely to care for somebody else more than we care for ourselves. I love how Paul kind of lays this out, and he says, as we go back to verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Listen to this, obedience. Obedient even to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, which is Jesus. So that that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He tells us this understanding is to look out for others. But I want you to be very, very clear because I don't want you to miss that Paul is laying out because he grasped this fully. That Jesus was a servant. But listen, that does not make him somebody that's not worthy to worship. He's telling them he is highly exalted, that he has been lifted up, that he is sitting on the right hand of the Father and he is interceding on our behalf every time something takes place in our life and sin is present. He's saying, I died for that sin. He's worthy to worship. So I beg of you this morning, be the servant that Christ was. Begin to humbly serve those that are around you. And I know that this is a foreign message and this is not one of those after Easter messages going, hey, you're supposed to do something that's gonna grab my attention. But listen, I'm gonna tell you, I am truly burdened for the community that are around us because they're not seeing churches that want to serve them. They're seeing people that just invite them to an event and we need to be actively pursuing this community. And looking for opportunities to serve. Look, one of the sweeter moments this morning, and I don't want to embarrass her, but uh, the little girl that's up here uh, playing this morning, Olivia, she was at prom last night. <laughs> she didn't even take a Sunday off. She wanted to be here to worship, to sing with you, to be with their church and to worship. Amen. Can I tell you, that's a servant's heart. Amen. Man, everybody else on the worship team looked at her and said, I wouldn't be here. Maybe we need to work on the rest of them. (laughs) I want you to understand, our community doesn't need and our church doesn't need leaders who are going to lord over people. We need genuine servants that look like Christ. You may have missed out on something in life, but I don't want you to miss out on who Jesus is. Was. Paul captures this, John captures, captures this, later on, Peter understands this, everybody that was with Christ knows that he came to serve. Listen, you may have been a believer for a really long time and have forgotten what this is, but it's not too late to live this way. One of the things that takes place in a church is the longer it continues to exist, the more mature the believers become, the the, the more that we feast on the theology and the knowledge of who God is. For some reason, we think that people should begin to serve us, and that's not the way that it should be. The more mature that we grow, the more opportunities that we look to serve the people that are around us, the more gifts and the more abilities that God has given us, we should look for a way to use those things. Listen, life is fragile, and how we live it matters. What are you spending your time doing? Is it all about you and taking care of you, or is it about Christ and taking care of his kingdom? So I close with this. Will you be a servant like Christ was? Look, sometimes the the thing that gets lost in the message of Easter is what he did for us and what he did for us and what he did for us. But listen, the reality is he did that for you so that you would be a servant like him. He didn't do that for you so that you could go, sweet, I'd go to heaven, everything is good. He did that so that you would be a humble servant just like he is. If Everybody would bow their heads and close their eyes just for a second. The worship team is going to come forward and we're going to close out with a really beautiful song on the goodness of God. Before we do that, we need to examine our hearts a little bit. We need to take inventory and take stock. Ask the genuine question Am I continually looking for people to serve me? Or am I a willing servant like what Christ has called me to be? Am I looking out only for my interests and taking care of me? Or am I genuinely looking out for the interest of others? i tell you one of the things that's kind of a lost and dying art is when we see somebody hurting in church, we don't go to them and invite them over to dinner and ask them and say, hey, are you okay? We just assume that somebody else is going to do it. Listen, there's a lot of broken people in our church a lot of people in our church that are going through tough situations. It's a responsibility of the believer to serve them, to love them, and to encourage them. I think sometimes we focus on our needs and making sure that our needs are met and our needs are taken care of, that we forget that Christ has given us all of this so that we would take care of others. I love the fact that right now we're taking in diapers for ministry that helps out with foster kids. It's crazy to see that our our church family is bringing in milk jugs just for vacation Bible school that's going to take place in the summer. Listen, it's evident it's there for us. But I wonder, is it there for you in the lives of other people that you're around? Do they see that at work? Do they see that in your family scenario? Do they go, man, that person loves Christ so much and they're continually serving just like Jesus did they look and go I want no part of that church it looks like all they try to do is take from everybody I don't want to be a believer if it's all about them listen don't miss out on who Jesus was he was a servant nothing looks more like him than us beginning to serve the community and the people that are around us dear father I come to you humbled and thankful for what you did Lord you were a servant above everything else Sometimes we miss this at Easter that we we kind of feel humbled and honored and maybe a little bit of a sense of pride of knowing that you went through all of that for us. But Lord, help us not to miss out. You did that humbly to serve us. Lord, that, that shouldn't come with a sense of pride. That should come with a sense of humility and a sense of, God, how can I be more like that? Father, thank you for Paul and his letter to the church in Philippi that says, hey, you need to emulate Christ more, and this is the way to do it. Do nothing with selfish ambition and begin to look out for others. Father, we thank you that your name is worthy to worship, that we do this every Sunday, that we sing these words, we cry out these words, and we pray preach the passages of scripture that you lay before us so that we would know who you are and how to live for you. May your name be lifted up this morning. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. If everybody would stand as we sing this last song and I hope that you can cry out these words about the goodness of God as Olivia leads us in.